Chapter thirty eight of Joan Thursday by Louis Joseph Vance. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. The rehearsals of tomorrow's people were arranged to begin on the twenty third day of September, and since all the important roles had been filled before he left town, and Wilbrow, whom he could trust, had charge of all other details matthias delayed his homecoming until the twenty-second not until the twentieth did he emerge from the wilderness up back of the allagash country into the comparative civilization of moosehead lake in eight weeks he had not written a line received a letter or read a newspaper but as he telegraphed helena from the mount kineo house he was so healthy that he was ashamed of it the day letter telegram she sent in reply was delivered on the train its news though condensed was reassuring venetia was well and her boy developing into a famous ruffian the two were making a visit at tanglewood and on the return of marbridge from his summer in europe would move back to new york where venetia was to reassume charge of his townhouse thus satisfied as to the welfare of the woman he loved matthias gave himself up completely to the production of his play and through the following four weeks lived in the theatre by day dreamed of it by night thought talked and wrote only in its singular terminology few facts unconnected with his own play penetrated his understanding in all that period but dining with wilbrow one night at the general table in the players he overheard gloucester railing bitterly at the ill fortune which had induced him to pledge himself to stage a modern satirical comedy for arlington and to train for the leading part a raw and almost inexperienced stage-struck girl he detailed his trials in vivid phrases as far as i know she's never played in anything except a bum vaudeville sketch and i had hell's own time making her fit to play that and yet she's got the ineffable nerve to keep picking at my way of doing things on the general ground that it ain't tom wilbrow's seems he had the privilege of rehearsing her for a five-side part in that punk show of jack matthias that went to pieces out on the coast last summer if wilbrow wasn't listening with all his ears over there i'd tell you what i said to the young woman the last time she threw him in my face what oh nobody ever heard of calls herself thursday joan thursday of course i rowed with arlington about her but he only shrugged and grinned and said she had to play it and i'd got to make her play it offered to bet me a thousand over and above my fees i couldn't do it sure i took him up why not i'll make her act it yet i could make a casino chorus boy act human if i wasn't so squeamish oh marbridge one of his discoveries i saw him handing her gently into that big brazen touring car of his in front of rector's night before last fragile's the word handle with care wilbrow interrogated supplied the context arlington had bought up through a third party mrs cardrow's interest in mrs mixer advising her to sell out because the play had already scored one failure and promising her 
another play in which she would stand better chance to win new york audiences this was an old comedy from the french revamped and was even then being rehearsed with a scrub company and a scratch outfit of scenery the production to be made on the same night that mrs mixer was to tempt fate with joan thursday the designated date being the twenty fifth of october a wednesday matthias promptly dismissed the matter from his mind he speculated a little hazily about marbridge and his constitutional inability to understand that gentleman felt more than ever sorry for venetia and wondered how much longer she would stand it all and plunged again into his preoccupation tomorrow's people was announced for production on monday october the twenty-third but after the dress rehearsal on sunday certain changes recommended themselves as advisable to the judgment of the author who persuaded the management to postpone the opening night until wednesday at ten minutes to twelve on that night the final curtain fell upon a successful representation an audience in its wraps blocked the aisles until after midnight applauding and demanding the author who however was not in the theatre he had in fact not been near it since the curtain falling on the first act had persuaded him of the general friendliness of an audience and the competency of the company this culmination of a nerve-racking strain which had endured without respite for over a month found him without courage to await the verdict he took to the streets and walked himself weary in vain effort to refrain from circling back toward the building whose walls housed his fate at length in desperation hoping to distract his thoughts from the supreme issue he purchased a ticket of admission to another theatre above whose entrance blazed the announcement mrs mixer and stationed himself at the back of the orchestra to witness the last part of the performance he saw the self-confidence of gloucester supremely justified the satiric farce marched steadily scene by scene to a success that was to keep it on broadway through the winter and make the name of joan thursday a household word throughout the union her personal success was as unquestionable as her beauty she played with grace vivacity charm and distinction and only to the initiate of the theatre was it apparent that gloucester had found in her the perfect medium for the transmission of his art matthias could see in company with a few of the more discriminating and stage-wise that she employed not a gesture intonation or bit of business which had not originated with gloucester she brought to her role on her part nothing but beauty and an unshakable self-confidence so thoroughly ingrained that it escaped suggesting self-consciousness the triumph was rightly first gloucester's then the play's but the public acclaimed the actress and the one acidulated critic who hailed her the following morning as at last the perfect human kinetophone record was listened to by none least of all by the subject of his sarcasm marbridge in a stage-box led the applause at the conclusion of each act and at the end of the play arlington came in person before the curtain leading by the hand the gracefully reluctant joan and in a few suave sentences thanked the audience for its appreciation and a beneficent providence for granting him this opportunity of fixing a new star in the 
theatrical firmament the name of this little girl he promised bowing to joan would appear in letters of fire over the theatre the next night pausing in the lobby to light a cigarette before leaving matthias overheard one of arlington's lieutenants confiding to another the news of the ruinous failure of the third initial production of that night half an hour later he met wilbrow by appointment in a quiet non-theatrical club and received from him confirmation of rumours which had already reached him of his own triumph with tomorrow's people you're a made man now wilbrow told him with sincere good-will and some little honest envy by tomorrow morning the pack will be at your heels yapping for a chance to put on every old script in your trunk i suppose so matthias nodded soberly but there's one comfort about that wilbrow pursued cheerfully whatever the temptation you won't give em anything but sound sane workmanlike stuff you've proved yourself one of the two or three at most playwrights in this country who are able to think and to make an audience think without losing sight of the fact that in the last analysis the play's the thing we've got plenty of authors nowadays who can turn out first chop melodrama and we've got a respectable percentage of them who write plays so full of honest and intelligent thought that it gives the average manager a headache to look at the script but the men who can give us the sort of drama that not only makes you think but holds you on the front edge of your seat waiting to see what's coming next well they're few and far between and you're one of em and i'm proud to have had a hand in putting you before the public you've got nothing on me there matthias grinned i'm proud you had and if i can get my own way after this you don't need to join the i should worries on account of that you'll be the only man who will ever produce one of my plays between one o'clock and two they parted matthias trudged home completely fagged in body but with a buoyant heart to sustain him venetia would be glad for him he was ascending the steps of number two eighty nine when a heavy touring car coming from the direction of longacre square swung into the curb and stopped latchkey in hand matthias paused and looked back in some little surprise the lodgers of madame de prat were a motley lot but as far as he knew none of them were of the class that maintains expensive automobiles but this car upon inspection proved to be tenanted by the chauffeur alone who leaving the motor purring jumped smartly from his seat and ran up the steps i beg your pardon sir he said touching his cap but i'm looking for a gentleman named matthias i am mr matthias thank you sir i've been sent to fetch you it's um er important i fancy the man added eyeing matthias curiously you've been sent to fetch me but who sent you my employer sir mr marbridge marbridge matthias echoed startled without definite decision he turned and ran down the steps in company with the chauffeur venetia in need of him perhaps what's happened he demanded is is mrs marbridge if you'll just get in sir the man replied i'll tell you as much as i know on the way and i'll save time he opened the door of the tonneau but matthias turned from it walked round the car and climbed into the seat beside the drivers 
with a nod of satisfaction the chauffeur joined him threw in the power and deftly swung the ponderous vehicle about well matthias asked as the machine shot across town beg pardon sir the man replied after a moment but i'd rather not say anything if it's all the same to you it isn't matthias insisted curtly i'm not on sufficiently friendly terms with mr marbridge for him to send for me without explanation yes sir but you see part of my job is to keep my mouth shut i'm afraid i shall have to ask you to forget that duty to some extent or else stop the car and let me out very good sir i don't suppose i can do any harm telling what little i know after supper to-night mr marbridge told me to take the car to the garage and not to expect a call for it until some time to-morrow morning but when i got there he was already wanting me on the telephone he said there'd been an accident and told me to find mr arlington first and then you and ask you to come immediately but why me matthias asked more of himself than of the driver he didn't say sir did he state what sort of an accident no sir you found mr arlington no sir he wasn't in when i asked at his hotel but i left a message before coming on for you matthias sat up with a start instead of turning up broadway the man was steering his car straight across longacre square before he had time to comment on this fact they were speeding on towards sixth avenue look here he cried you're not taking me to mr marbridge's home no sir but mr marbridge hadn't got home when he telephoned me sir where is he then we'll be there in a minute sir an apartment house on madison avenue oh said matthias thoughtfully was mr marbridge uh alone when you left him to-night i'd rather not say sir if you don't mind troubled by an inkling of the disaster matthias composed himself to patience turning south on fifth avenue the car passed thirty-fourth street before swinging eastward again it stopped eventually in the side street just short of the corner of madison avenue before a private entrance to a ground-floor apartment such as physicians prefer but matthias could discern no physician's nameplate upon the door at which his guide knocked or in either of the flanking windows opening the door disclosed a panelled entry tenanted by a white-lipped woman in the black-and-white uniform of a lady's maid her frightened eyes examined matthias apprehensively as he entered followed by the chauffeur this last demanded briefly dr ben the maid assented with a nervous nod ten minutes ago about he's with the lady now lady the chauffeur echoed but i thought it was mr marbridge i mean the other lady the maid explained the one what done the shootin when mr marbridge got the gun away from her he locked her up in the bathroom and then she had hysterics the doctor's trying to make her hush so she won't disturb the other tenants but you can hear yourself how she's carrying on in a pause that followed matthias was conscious of the sound of high-pitched and incessant laughter slightly muffled emanating from some distant part of the flat he asked abruptly where is mr marbridge the maid started and hesitated looking to the chauffeur this is mr matthias that one explained mr marbridge sent for him oh yes excuse me sir this way if you please 
opening a door on the right the woman permitted matthias to pass through then closed it he found himself in a dining-room of moderate proportions and handsomely furnished little of it was visible however outside the radius of illumination cast by an electric dome which depending from the middle of the ceiling focused its rays upon a small round dining-table of mahogany this table was quite bare save for a massive decanter of cut glass standing at the edge of a puddle of spilt liquor as if an uncertain hand had attempted to pour a drink near it lay a broken goblet on the farther side of the table a woman with young and slender figure stood in a pose of arrested action holding a goblet half full of brandy and water her features were but indistinctly suggested in the penumbra of the dome but beneath this her bare arms and shoulders rising out of an elaborate evening gown shone with a soft warm lustre matthias remembered that gown joan thursday had worn it in the last act of mrs mixer but she neither moved nor spoke and for the time being he paid her no further heed giving his attention entirely to marbridge sitting low in a deeply upholstered wing-chair out of place in the dining-room and evidently dragged in for the emergency marbridge breathed heavily chin on his chest his coarse mouth ajar his face ghastly with a stricken pallor his feet sprawled uncouthly the dress coat and waistcoat he had worn lay in a heap on the floor near the chair and both shirt and undershirt had been ripped and cut away from his right shoulder exposing his swarthy and hairy bosom and a sort of temporary bandage which like his linen was darkly stained closed when matthias entered his eyes opened almost instantly and fixed upon the man a heavy and lacklustre stare which at first failed to indicate recognition matthias heard himself crying out in a voice of horror good god marbridge how did this happen the man stirred grunted with pain and made a deprecatory gesture with his left hand need yell he said thickly i've been shot done for his gaze shifted heavily to the woman with effort he enunciated one word more drink as though by that monosyllable freed from an enchaining spell joan started moved quickly to his side and held the goblet to his lips he drank noisily gulping and slobbering overflowing at either corner of his mouth the liquor dripped twin streams upon his naked bosom mechanically matthias put his hat down on the table he experienced an incredulous sensation as though he were struggling to cast off the terror and oppression of some particularly vivid and coherent nightmare from the farther room that noise persisted of monotonous and awful laughter marbridge ceased to swallow and grunted joan removed the glass and drew away without looking at matthias at a cost of considerable will-power apparently the wounded man collected himself and levelled at matthias his lowering but now less dull regard oh it's you is it he said ungraciously well you'll do at a pinch i wanted arlington but you if he couldn't be found well said matthias stupidly i'm here the doctor's seen you i suppose yes did what he could for me 
no use wasting effort it's my cue to exit oh come it's not as bad as that the hell it ain't the doctor knows i know not that it matters it was coming to me and i got it where's the doctor matthias insisted why isn't he attending you now he's in the other room trying to silence that crazy woman she plugged me and went into hysterics who nella codrow had the devil of a time with her before doctor came trying to keep her from rushing out and giving herself up all this in the papers but all right now we'll hush it up then that's what you want of me wait marbridge grunted where's that girl joan moved back to his side what can i do she said and these were all the words matthias heard her utter from first to last of that business marbridge nodded at her with a curling lip you can get out she turned sharply and left the room banging the door that's the kind she is marbridge commented you were lucky to get rid of her as easy as you did give me more brandy will you like a good fellow and be stingy with the water i've got to hold out a couple of hours more matthias served him i presume venetia knows nothing about this yet having drunk marbridge shook his head not yet now listen you guessed it i want you to help hush this up for venetia's sake rotten mess do no good if it gets in the papers only humiliation for her will you what is it you want me to do help me home and keep your mouth shut you see this is my place i've had it for years very handy private entrance all that nella used to meet me here that's how she came to have a key i'd forgotten well i got tired of her and she couldn't act and arlington was sore about that so we planned to get rid of her i guess you must have heard it was a dirty business all round and to-night when her play went to pieces just as we'd planned it should she saw how she'd been bilked and lost her head came here let herself in quietly without the maids hearing her and shot me when i came in with joan i managed to get the gun away before she could turn it on herself and locked her up then hysterics well i'm finished i asked for it and got it no no remorse bunk no deathbed repentance nothing like that but i realize i've been a pretty rotten proposition first and last never mind what i'm getting as this nobody needs suffer but me that's where you come in for venetia's sake you and arlington and the doctor can cover it all up between you ollie can quiet that girl joan and the doctor's all right he'll want a pretty stiff check to fix the undertaker and that's all right too then you've got to scare nella cadre so she won't give herself away and buy my chauffeur and that maid out there sarah but first off you'll have to help doctor get me home and in bed i'm the sort that's got to die in the house his chin dropped again well i guess it's a good job at that he shivered 
the hall door opened and arlington entered followed by a lean man with worried eyes who proved to be the doctor End of chapter thirty eight